Hey everybody, my name's Pastor Ryan. I serve as the lead pastor here at Hosanna. So good to be with you wherever you are. We have a mission at Hosanna to humbly and boldly be a church that looks more like Jesus. When that happens, people discover life the way that it was meant to be, always meant to be, and, and the world starts to look more like it's supposed to be. And so when you give your tithes and your above and beyond offerings, you are literally changing lives and you're transforming the world. And so if you consider Hosanna your church home and you're not already giving regularly and proportionately to how God has given to you, uh, it's really easy to get started. Just text Hosanna Church to 77977 and you'll be on your way to experiencing greater freedom as you trust God with your finances and on your way to transforming the world. You know, next week we start re-entry into our four campuses uh, and we are, we're excited about that. We know that, that many of you uh, may not be ready for that. And we understand that. We support you completely in that, in that journey. We're gonna continue to have church at home for you. Uh, and so that's, that's one group. There's another group that may be really excited. You've been waiting and you feel led to come and gather in person in our campuses. And so if that's you, we're looking forward to seeing you. And, and we need to give you a heads up. It's gonna be a little bit different. It's not gonna be exactly like it, it was before for a while. It's just gonna take some time. To that end, we have a re-entry video that explains the protocol for re-entry. We encourage you to watch that on, on our website. One detail that I do wanna mention, and that is we're gonna have you wear masks. I know this has become a political issue. I know this is uh, not the most convenient thing. Trust me, I don't like wearing masks either. The Lord convicted me of, of that the other day uh, as I was kind of uh, complaining about but. But it's, it's not an inconvenience. It's, it's not even that conversation that's happening right now about the efficacy of masks and how effective they are, right? We, we don't care as much about all of that. What we care about, about primarily as followers of Jesus is how we can serve and sacrifice for others. We wanna do everything that we can to protect the most vulnerable uh, people and also the most vulnerable churches and businesses that would be devastated by a turning back of the dial right now. So anything that can potentially protect other people and how we can serve other people, uh, we are willing to do as followers of Jesus Christ. That's what this is about. It's not a political statement. It's a sacrificial gesture. And all things considered, it's a pretty small sacrifice for us to make. Which leads right into our series, the fourth and final week of our series, because masks have become politicized, which proves the point that if masks can become politicized, anything can become politicized. We're in the fourth week of this series called Religion and Politics, A Third Way. In the, in the political landscape right now, there, there is this forced choice, this either or, binary choice, either this extreme or that extreme. And we believe that Jesus is calling us to a different way, a better way. We refer to it as the radical middle. And the radical middle isn't a spiritual affiliation or, or it, it isn't a political affiliation, I should say, and it's not a political agenda. It is a spiritual affiliation. It's an affiliation with Jesus. And it's, it's, a, it's taking Jesus' agenda, starting there, and then everything else flows from, from Jesus' agenda in our lives. And so that's, that's the radical middle. And in the radical middle, we seek to listen to each other, to learn from each other, even to love each other when we disagree, agree to disagree in humility and civility and, and unity, the radical middle. In this series, we've talked about our common enemy the first week, second week, our views. And, and last week, 
Jen, Pastor Jen, my wife, gave a message on our voice. And I know I'm biased because she's my wife, but it's a really good message, a really important message. In fact, if you only have time to go back and watch one message, watch that one. It's that important. If we don't get that one right, nothing else really matters. Our, our voice, plus she's a lot cuter than me. So go back and watch that one if you haven't seen it already. This week's topic is our vote. Our vote. This is where the rubber meets the road. And so if you hang on for the whole message, by the end of the message, I'm gonna tell you who to vote for in November's election. Just kidding. Okay, Kanye. No, just kidding. Right? I'm not, I'm not gonna, my, my job as a pastor is not to tell you who to vote for. It's to offer you biblical guidance, biblical wisdom on how to vote well as a Jesus follower. And so to that end, we need all kinds of wisdom on this one. I love this verse in Proverbs 19.20. It says, listen to counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise. We need all kinds of wisdom on this topic of voting as followers of Jesus. Wise counsel. And the first person I thought of when I thought of who to seek wise counsel from in this area was someone named Leith Anderson. Leith Anderson uh, was the lead pastor of Wooddale Church for 35 years. Uh, he, he, was um, the, the primary teacher on an online devotional segment called Faith Matters. It was broadcast on hundreds of radio stations, even before Twins games and baseball season just kicked off. Yes, right? But he, he was heard all over the airwaves. Uh, I got to know Leith because he and his wife Charlene attend uh, Hosanna whenever they're in town. And I also got to know him when I served and still do serve on the board of the National Association of Evangelicals, of which Leith was the president of for 14 years. He's a prolific author, over 20 books, including the book that I mentioned in week one of this series called Faith in the, in the Voting Booth. Someone once said, if there was an evangelical pope, it would be Leith Anderson. There isn't, but if there was, it would be him. So it is such a privilege, such a privilege for us to hear from Leith Anderson, and he was gracious enough to sit down with me for an interview. Let's watch. So Leith, first, tell us a bit about your experience at the intersection of religion and politics as a pastor, as the president of NAE, and it would be helpful uh, if you could first, first share a little bit about NAE for those who aren't familiar with that organization. Yeah, well, very different. As a pastor in suburban Minneapolis, actually, I sort of saw my challenge and calling to keep the church about Jesus Christ and not about politics or other things. So, um, you know, that, that was just sort of a priority throughout. And then the um, National Association of Evangelicals is uh, 40 plus denominations, a multitude of churches and organizations from all over the country, headquartered in Washington, D.C. So in Washington, that was really different. So meetings with people in the Oval Office or in the offices of members of Congress and amicus briefs for the Supreme Court and other courts and lots of press interviews and all those things. So yeah, politics were certainly a part of that. And I, I think I saw my role as uh, seeking to communicate biblical truth and values and tenor and style to those who are you know, in places of, of government. You know, you, you mentioned before, what, what would be an example of a story that relates to this? And the one that came to mind, every election cycle, it seems that we would have a challenge that people, outsiders, would come during one of the many worship services at the church, and they would put flyers on the windshields of cars promoting 
various candidates. And I, I didn't want people to come to church and that was what they got and what they left with. So we had teams of people that would follow them around and take them off the windshields of the cars. One time, a guy got kind of belligerent about it and he didn't think that was right, that his flyer should stay there, threatened to call the police. And, and then he said, and see, that's the trouble with the church. You don't engage. You don't have people in the church that really care about government and politics. And the irony was that every candidate on his flyer was in the building and a member of the church. So there's a difference between engagement and endorsement. So engaging with politics that is absolutely what Christians should do. We ought to be involved in what God has established in government, but that does not mean that we're in the business of endorsement. We endorse Jesus Christ, not politicians. Amen, that's good. I really like that engagement, not endorsement. Well, as a pastor, as you were for, um, many decades, uh, and still are, really. I, I look at you as one of the pastors of my life, uh, so I'm grateful for your pastoral leadership influence. Uh, but what, and you already started to, to go there, but how did you talk about political, political engagement and voting uh, when you were um, serving a local church as a pastor? Every now and then there would be reporters that would show up at events or at church services, and they would ask that question. They'd actually find somebody in a hallway or in the parking lot, and they would say, um, so tell us about Leaf preaching about politics. And then I get to read it, the article in the newspaper, and they all said, he doesn't, he doesn't do that. He never preaches about politics. And I kind of like that, but that really wasn't accurate. So I'll give you an example. There are over 2,000 references in the Bible to the poor. So those are vulnerable and disenfranchised, the widow, the, the immigrant in the land. There's just loads of Bible teaching about it, the attitude that we're to have, but also about what we're to do. So did I talk about that? Of course I talked about that because that's such a mandate within the Bible that we care about those that God cares for. And that has government and political implications to it, but it was addressed through a biblical theme rather than um, a political endorsement. Yeah. I like that. Well, here's, here's the big question. We've been talking about this uh, throughout the series. Um, this is the fourth, fourth week of our series on religion and politics. Uh, but biblically and ethically, put you on the spot here, is it possible for Christians, genuine followers of Jesus, to vote either Republican or Democrat? Of course. Of course. Yeah. So I know Christians who are Democrats. I know Christians who are Republicans. I actually know Democrats that are Christians and Republicans that are Christians. And lots of people who kind of switch depending on what the most pressing issue uh, currently is. And a growing number of people who are faithful to Jesus Christ, but also independent. They choose not to self-identify. So one of the ways that I think of it, Ryan, is I think of Christians in places all over the world, from, uh, from Zambia to New Zealand, who are diligent followers of Jesus Christ, who wouldn't understand our politics, but have biblical values and commitment. So we need to share those values with them and then apply that to you know, our, our context and, and our election year. And that comes out different ways for different people. Also, be careful about the influence of others so that you're primarily influenced from the Bible. So let me tell you a Bible story. So, in the New Testament, the question was, do you have to become a Jew to become a Christian? 
And Peter in Acts 10 has a revelation directly from God about Cornelius. It doesn't have to be. He can go directly from being a Gentile to being a Christian. So Peter was confronted by God directly. In Acts 15, there's the Jerusalem Council. All the apostles vote. They come out with a statement that says, you don't have to become a Jew first. And then in Galatians 2, Paul writes to Peter and says, basically, you've fallen back under the influence of these people in this circumcision party, and you've defied what God has told you and what the Jerusalem Council did, because that's the temptation, that we're surrounded by people who so influence us that we forget what the values of the scripture are. And Paul said that Peter was a hypocrite for what he did. We don't want to be that kind of a hypocrite. Go first with the scripture, not by the influence of others around us. Uh, your, your book subtitle uh, is Practical Wisdom for Voting Well. Uh, so give us some practical wisdom as, as followers of Jesus, faithful, thoughtful followers of Jesus. Um, not, not necessarily who to vote for, but how should we approach voting? How should we be praying and thinking about even the upcoming election in, in November? Well, let me be theological okay. about the politics, all right? Yeah. Uh, the famous Westminster Shorter Catechism starts out, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And <clears throat> I realized one day, I didn't really have a good definition of glorify, did my research, and the Greek word is, uh, is doxa, uh, from which we get the name of the hymn, the doxology. But in its root meaning in classical Greek, it referred to someone's reputation. So I've come to understand that to glorify God is to enhance God's reputation is to make God look good. So that's what I wanna do when I think about candidates and I think about issues and I think about voting. It's when I think about my state and my community and my country. What will make God look good? What will glorify God? So my calling is, is not to make a country or a community look good, it's to make God look good. And how do I consistently do that and then look at the context and look at the candidates and say, how will this person or this issue enhance the reputation of God? And to me, that's a guiding principle. It's really helpful. I know there's a, there's a section in the book called Principles and Priorities, one of the chapters, and I think that's a helpful guide for people uh, to approach voting as Christ followers. Well, it's just, it's such a, an a, a privilege, an opportunity to have you with us. Um, so I just want to ask the catch-all question. Is there anything else that you would like to share or, or you think that um, the church, the body of Christ should be mindful of as we head into this upcoming election cycle? In AD 67, Peter wrote 1 Peter 2.12. And he said, live your lives in such a way that although they accuse you of doing wrong, they see your good deeds and glorify God. That's what we need to do in politics. We need to speak and we need to relate and we need to behave in ways that others can see the good deeds of Christians and to glorify God. Amen. Well, thank you, Leith, for taking the time uh, to visit with me and share with us uh, your experience and your wisdom. Um, and we're humbled that you and Charlene are part of our church family when you're in town. We know that's not a lot. You travel a lot, but I'm just so grateful for the influence you've had on me and our church and 
and countless thousands of other churches and leaders um, with your uh, ministry and your leadership all these years. So thank you. God bless you. Thank you. It's good, good counsel, really good counsel, uh, biblical wisdom from a wise person who has lived and served and pastored in this area for many, many decades. And I'm so grateful for that wisdom. Not everything makes the cut in interviews. In fact, one of the questions I asked him was, what advice would you give a pastor who's thinking about doing a series on religion and politics? And his response was, how much do you like your job? And he said, just kidding. And he applauded us for taking on this topic. It's an important topic, he said, one that needs to be addressed uh, in a Christ-like way. And so that's what we're doing here. I do like my job. And part of my job, a big part of my job is to offer you uh, guidance, wisdom, uh, shepherd of the flock, a shepherd of the flock. And so to that end, I wanna, I wanna just offer a few more bits of guidance or wisdom on how we are to vote, approach voting as a follower of Jesus. I wanna talk about three things quickly here. One is to be chief end voters. The second is to consider both end and means. And then the third is vote, is vote. Let's talk about the first one. Be chief end voters, not single issue voters. Be chief end voters to glorify God in how we approach voting in all ways. I like Leith talked about what is going to bring glory to God or the way he defined it, doxa, glory, what is going to make God look good? What is going to make God look good? See, one of the ways we've been played as a Christian base is this idea of single issue voting. This trap or this scheme of single issue voting. Single issue voting is this narrative. You have to vote for this candidate or this party because of this issue. Doesn't matter, any, nothing else matters, but this issue means you have to vote for this party or this candidate. And this, this approach, this, this scheme of single issue voting, it targets our deepest feelings and our deepest fears. It kind of manipulates those. There are a couple examples on both sides of the spectrum. The more conservative side would be abortion, single issue. On the more liberal progressive side, it would be in the environment. It doesn't matter. Nothing else matters. Those are the issues. And so you vote that party and that candidate based on those issues. As I said to you early in this series, and I'll say it again with single issue voting, you are not a puppet or a pawn of any scheme, polarizing scheme or single issue voting scheme. You got it. God has created you to be a thoughtful, prayerful, independent, powerful person in Christ through the Holy Spirit. Or he wants to work through your heart and your conscience to lead you in each individual case. And as I've said before, if Jesus were to show up, he would, he would look at both sides of the political spectrum. There'd be some things that he would affirm on both sides and there'd be some things that he would condemn on both sides, which means that we need to take a different approach, a chief end voter approach. Ask the question, what? is going to give God the most glory. In this particular case, in this particular instance, at this particular time, what is the highest priority toward giving God the most glory or making him look good? 
Which issues are the most important right now for our world and, and for humanity? What is going to be best, not only making look good, but God look good, but what is going to bring out the best in us? I've often thought about that as I voted. The person I vote for, the vote that I cast, how is that going to bring out the very best in me? And this approach, this chief end voting approach can lead us to sometimes vote Republican and sometimes vote Democrat because we're not locked in. We're looking at politics through the lens of Jesus, not the other way around. And sometimes it's a policy issue that, that we believe is the highest priority. Sometimes it's something intangible like greater unity. Be chief end voter. Secondly, consider both end and means. Another way to say this might be style and substance. Substance and style. I think one of the greatest tragedies in our world today, it grieves me deeply, is that we've come to accept this thought that as long as the outcome we want is achieved, as long as the priorities that we feel are the most important are arrived at and accomplished, it doesn't matter what people say or do or how people treat each other. Or in other words, it, the end justifies the means. It just doesn't matter, right? As long as the outcome is right, how we get to that outcome doesn't matter. That grieves my heart, and I believe it grieves God's heart, that conclusion. And hear me, I just wanna be clear. I'm talking about both sides of the aisle here, right? And just to prove to you that I'm an equal opportunity offender, I'll just use this example. Both candidates for president, we're not counting Kanye, but both the major party president, uh, candidates for president next fall have been accused of mistreating women. Now I know there are a lot of yeah buts. Yeah, but we don't know all the details. Yeah, but this was worse or that was worse or yeah, but. We don't know all the details. It's true. But what we do know is that how women are treated matters to God. How all people are treated matters to God. All people. See, as followers of Jesus, we can't come to the conclusion that the means don't matter. And we can't come to the conclusion, if we're gonna read scripture honestly, that character doesn't matter to God. Character matters deeply to God. And we know that bad character grieves him. Look, look at Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. You can look it up later. It says that there are six, no seven things that God hates. And then the writer of Proverbs goes on to list all of those, but I'll just name a few. Lying, pride, stirring up conflict, lying, Second time, it's in there twice, as if to say God really doesn't like lying. Character matters to God. Bad character matters to God. A character isn't the only factor we consider when we vote. Let's be clear. It may not even be the deciding factor. But for us as followers of Jesus, it can't be a non-factor for us. If we're going to have God's heart, what breaks his heart, what grieves our heart, his heart needs to grieve our heart as well. At minimum, when we see bad character, it should grieve us, it should trouble us. May we never stop being troubled by bad character, starting with our own lives. And may we never become numb 
or, or tolerant to bad character. It matters to God. And if, if we're wondering if the means matters as much as the end to God, look no further than the cross. At the end was salvation freely given for us, abundant life freely given for us. But the means to that end was Jesus on the cross, taking on the sin of the world, our sin, our fallenness, our brokenness, so that we can experience forgiveness and freedom and fullness of life and live forever with him. Jesus' character, his humility, his sacrifice, the means to the end mattered and matters deeply to God and to us. Consider both the end and the means as we approach voting. And then third, vote. Vote. Right? We are called to be engaged in the public sphere and the, and the political arena as followers of Jesus. And what difference does it make, we wonder sometimes. There's this voter apathy that sets in. Like, what difference does it make? That's exactly what both extremes, remember the bell curve from week one, want you to think. Because they're so loud, it creates this illusion that there are a lot more of them than there actually are. And we go, well, what difference does it make? All these people out here, all these people out here, and what difference does it make? It makes all the difference. As the radical middle, we need to rise up. We, we need to get louder, not through yelling, but through engagement and voting. Because if we don't, we're just going to keep getting what we got, which is extremism and division and polarization. The radical middle needs to rise up. People who aren't committed first to a political agenda or affiliation, but, but a spiritual affiliation and agenda to Jesus Christ, Jesus' agenda. Looking at everything through that. Not single issue voters, not either or kind of people. Not people who are looking at the world through a political lens, but people who are looking at the world through a Jesus lens. People who are concerned about all issues that matter to Jesus. Chief end voters. And by the way, don't, don't forget about local elections. Sometimes, some, sometimes we think, oh, those don't matter as much. But oftentimes that's where the big decisions and lots of dollars get distributed. Decisions get made and dollars get distributed. And this is where I would refer you back to last week's message where Jen says, you know, when you vote, be a voice for the voiceless. Whichever group of voiceless people, people who have less voice in our society, you feel called to. And there are lots of them to vote that way. I wanna close with this quote that I came across from an 18th century English pastor and reformer named John Wesley. As a follower of Jesus who is committed to living in the radical middle, this is more good counsel and wisdom for us today. Listen to this. He said, I met those of our society who had votes in the ensuing election and advised them to vote without fee or reward for the person they judged most worthy, number one. Two, to speak no evil of the person they voted against, or I would add people who voted differently than them. And third, to take care of their spirits, that their spirits were not sharpened against those who voted on the other side that our hearts don't become jagged or rough or corrupted by this whole process. We start to see people on the other side as the enemy. We know our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That, what John Wesley just, what we just read from John Wesley in the 18th century is exactly how we will approach voting here at Hosanna. This season, and every season. Because we believe that Jesus didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. 
And we wanna be a part of that takeover, the takeover of God's kingdom of love and mercy and justice and grace and truth. We wanna be part of the Jesus party, the party that never ends, following Jesus every step of the way. And like Lee said in the interview, may it be said of us, the people saw our good deeds, how we honored and gave glory to God, gave honor to God as a result. May that be true of Hosanna. Let me pray with you. God, we are so grateful for your spirit, your truth, your love, your presence. This has been a transformational journey for many. It has been for me, this series. So I pray, God, that you continue to stir up your spirit in the hearts and minds of people, that we would be chief end people, chief end voters, giving glory to you in all that we do. Lord, give us wisdom, give us discernment, give us guidance. Lord, as we proceed into this coming election season. Most of all, Lord, we, we want you to be lifted up. Make us a church that looks more and more like you, that lives will be changed, that people discover life the way it was always meant to be, and that this world would become more like it's supposed to be. That's what we want, God. We love you, Lord, and we praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, wherever you are, amen, amen. Well, thanks again for joining us, everybody. It, uh, it's just good to be on this journey with you. We want you to continue talking about this. And so we have questions um, that'll go up on the screen for you to, to discuss with your, your family, your friends, your neighbors, whoever you're gathered with. Um, keep having the conversation. Remember to listen, to learn, and to love as you do. And then join us next week as we start a new series in the book of James. But before you go, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son, the Holy Spirit. And everyone said, amen, amen. God bless you. Go be the church.